Welcome, dear listener. I hope you're sitting comfortably with the lights fully on as we go into Season 3, Episode 5 of Weekend at Crombie's. We'll be looking, with some trepidation, at the people under the stairs. Welcome, dear listener, to our May episode of Weekend at Crombie's. I am Hugh, ain't the stupid kind of fool, the ignorant kind, because I'm just starting out. (laughs) And I am uh, Dr. James Evans Esquire. Just because a man's lying down doesn't mean he's dead. And with that, we will (laughs) take you into uh, our film we watched, which... I'm very interested to talk about. <laughs> oh, blimey. That's, well, that's good. Well, that's one of the reasons why I chose The People Under the Stairs, which we'll come on to in terms of the reasons why um, shortly. But yeah, the, the, the film for May was The People Under the Stairs. It was my choice. Shall I kick off, uh, kick off? Let's begin. So let's begin with The People Under the Stairs. Okay, so The People Under the Stairs is a Wes Craven um, horror movie from the early 90s, 1991. And it's about a young boy called Fool. Um, who's been nicknamed Fool by his by his sister. His real name's Poindexter, actually. Which is um, a very so, ambitious name for a young chap to have in the uh, in the projects. It is. It is. I mean, I give me Fool any day, to be honest. Than <laughs> <laughs> Poindexter. Um, but uh, effectively, Fool Fool is, as you say, Hugh, um, a young uh, black child from the ghetto. Um, it's not. I'm not quite sure where the film is set. Is it Detroit? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. It's not quite made clear, but I have a feeling it's either Chicago or Detroit. Um, and uh, the, the film opens with um, uh, Fool and uh, his sister um, uh, kind of um, in their very dilapidated um, projects home, as it were. Um, yeah, tarot reading. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, doing a bit of tarot reading, and it just kind of sets the scene about um, the, the kind of the, the perhaps spooky um, and eerie and creepy elements that are going to uh, uh, come up. Where uh, sister reads tarot, and she says basically, you're, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want your tarot cards uh, to be dealt, and you know, things like death and fool come up, and all this kind of stuff as well. But we we, we understand that um, fool's mother is is um, very ill, um, not necessarily terminally ill, but very ill. Uh, in bed and yeah, she, she has cancer that um, a, a substantial amount of money would solve but uh, but he, uh, the family is impoverished and therefore yeah, the family is impoverished yeah. uh, you know and when I say when I say that the the, the, the flat that they're in is is in it, it is impoverished it's very impoverished you know yeah. I mean it's, it's you know there's no wallpaper the floorboards are creaking you you go out the house uh, you go out the, the front door and there's crack addicts uh, you know it's 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 a grim place to live effectively um, and what we what transpires is that um, they've missed their rent uh, for the last um, the last deadline and three they've days, got yeah, three days three over. days yeah, three days haven't paid it, uh, which means that they've got to pay is it triple yeah uh, something like that they've got to pay triple rent and obviously they've got no money anyway mum's ill um, things are not looking good for young fool um, and uh, it's at this point that we're introduced to um, 
Ving Rhames in a pre a pre Pulp Fiction uh, Ving Rhames as almost say quite a a svelte Ving Rhames as as svelte as he could get. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now Ving Rhames he plays Leroy, who's a uh, I suppose he's a kind of like a a gang leader, maybe the wrong word, but he's a drug dealer effectively. And um, he he's there. He's he's um, uh, uh, he's full sisters kind of squeeze i guess really um and uh he's basically saying you know what, what are you going to do your mum's not very well you're not going to make anything of your life you want to be a doctor but what's the point of that nobody from our background makes it as a doctor etc why don't you come with me i've got a plan um i know where your landlord lives um and he, they knows, have... he knows the landlord has a large gold coin collection so indeed he's large... got a score He's got a score, and what he's doing is he's trying to ask Fool to come along with him and his partner, Spencer, to rob the landlords of their um, of their gold collection, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, a, and, you know, Fool obviously doesn't want to do this, but, you know, it, things transpire, and he's he's not able to, to turn the offer down. Yeah, there's some to and from, but you know, given that his mother needs money for a life-saving operation, the family needs money for somewhere to live, he's going to say yes. He's going to say yes. And they won't fall because they need someone to kind of case the joint, as it were. They need someone unsuspecting, small, who can crawl in, creep into the house, do it, uh, you know, case case the situation, see what the see what the kind of security is like and so on and so forth. So fall is, is the perfect, um, the perfect uh, kind of I don't know, culprit, I suppose, really, in that context. Yeah. So we next see them again, Leroy and Spencer and fool. They're in the, in the van driving up to Big Town to, to score the gold. It's, again, it's very reminiscent of Trespass last, last month. <laughs> it is, we it have is. a couple of chances going on a gold hunt in unfamiliar ground. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, they find the landlord's house and it's this hulking, massive house. It's very, very gothic, I suppose, in its style. It's a very it's haunted house. It's kind of the panelled wood it, everywhere. There's, there's lots of uh, dormer windows and several floors and it's enormous and, yeah. and, and but dilapidated. It's very dirty. It's, uh, the garden's unkept. It's the kind of house that you would say, that's a haunted house. Yeah, yeah. Um, which should have uh, sparked alarm bells. Sparked alarm bells? It rung alarm bells in, in, in Fool's mind, but... Um, it didn't obviously. So Fool, yeah, Fool is sent off as a Boy Scout to case the joint, um, yeah. where he meets the the stern-faced lady. We've already met actually the the, the man and lady of the house in a a flash, uh, um, a jump cut. We, we've had uh, once the family talking about how the landlords are trying to chisel them out of their home because they uh, once they've thrown them out of the uh, the apartment, they they can bulldoze it and bin condominiums. Um, we then yeah. cut to this villainous pair of uh, of. Um, it's called woman and man, aren't they? The uh, yeah, Ever, Ever, McGill and Wendy Robbie. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they're called woman and man, but they call each other daddy and mummy, respectively. It, yeah. And it, you know, it, it gives you some indication of the relationship that they have with each other. Uh, they are cranks. They are uh, odd bods. Um, but uh, yeah, we see we see woman played by Wendy Robbie. Um, I suppose Mrs. Robeson is her name as well. Um, and she's obviously not having any of this. She's not interested in in the cookies that Fool is selling. So he can't get in. He then goes around the back. He notices that the that the windows of the house are um, guarded with um, uh, you know like steel kind of bars, but they are locked from the outside, not the inside. So that sparks a little bit of. Yes. <laughs> um, what does this mean? What's going on here? Um, and uh, he, he sees at the very uh, one of the top windows. He sees the curtains move a little bit, and actually, it's a it's a girl that lives in the house as well, called Alice, who is um, basically kept by um, man and woman, as it were. Um, I think we've already seen again. It's a sinister moment when um, the uh, 
they've basically come into Alice to she'd be, she's had to eat alone in her room. They've come to collect her plate, um, yeah, and they right. demand where'd the fork go. And the, uh, the, a, a rather yellowing hand appears from outside a ventilation grate and hands Alice the fork, which she yeah. then hands on to, to Mama. Um, but then Mama considers she's been Alice has been up to no good talking to the, the boy in the wall. So so um, <laughs> the man comes in to, to lash her with the belt. So Alice is clearly being abused and punished. Um, Alice herself is sort of a, a waifish twelve-year-old in a, in a, a plain white shift, um, yeah. who kind of looks out behind her curtain of hair. So she's a, a fairly beaten individual anyway. But yeah. uh, but that's that's who Fool's taking a glimpse of. So when he goes back to the van to report that he wouldn't let him in, um, Spencer's having none of this. Leroy thinks they've got enough intel to do the heist, but Spencer, you know, wants to send himself in there to do it properly. Um, so he then dons a uh, sort of a gas maintenance uniform and poses as an inspector to come and read the meter, and he. The, again, the woman is initially reluctant to let him in, but he kind of says, you know, you've got to be safe and sorry. I'll, you know, I'll, I'm allowed to come in and read your meter. So she lets him in. Um, she lets him in, though, I think. And I think that she lets him in knowing that he isn't a real gas meter reader because he, he notices on his finger a, a skull ring. Yeah, and I was thinking that. Thinks, that's the, yeah, oh, that's, this is something yeah. we can we can have fun with here. Yeah, but that's certainly what the movie implies. She spots his skull ring and thinks, well, he's a fake. I think a gas reader meter could have just an eccentric taste in jewelry. It doesn't mean he's a fraud. <laughs> um, but but she, she, she clocks him as a fraud and then you know, smiles and saying, well, why didn't you come in? Um, okay. And then uh, nothing more is said of Spencer, which is making Leroy nervous now, thinking Spencer's already got inside the house and is casing the coins all for himself. So now Leroy wants to go in. <laughs> So they yeah and so Leroy and uh, he persuades Fool um, that right, they're all going to go in now because they've, they've, they've now seen they've now seen Mama and Dada leave um, yeah so they've left the house and the house is now empty which is even more suspicious what Spencer's doing in there by himself yeah now if you've seen any horror film you'll know that Spencer is already dead <laughs> spoilers uh, <and>, <laughs> didn't end well for Spencer. Yeah, and so they what they should really do at this point in, in in time is just leave, but they don't. They 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 pull up, they go in, they break in, um, uh, and uh, they 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 encounter um, a, a rather vicious Rottweiler um, who attacks um, Leroy. Um, anyway, they 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 fight the, the Rottweiler off. They get into the house, and it's in one of these kind of like you should houses. Call the Rottweiler Prince because Prince played Prince, a large yeah. part in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. He's called Prince. They 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 fight Prince off. They 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 kind of lock him in the kind of the lean to, I guess, really. And they break into the kitchen, which has got like a steel door, and everything in the house then is it's very kind of um it's very um it's horrible. Uh, well, it's horrible, but it's also kind of like everything's locked strongly. Oh, there's yeah. um you know there's sliding doors. There's it, 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 it's it's as if they really don't want anyone to be breaking in, which obviously raises suspicions. Yeah. And it's a pretty grim house, you know. Dead flies everywhere. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty grim in, in that kind of context. But they they, they manage to break into the house. Um, and they uh, you know they're, they're they're looking around for stuff. Um, they, they try and find Spencer. They can't find Spencer. They don't know what's going on. Well, the Leroy um, goes upstairs and Fool stays upstairs. down to keep watch, and also because he's quite scared of going upstairs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and in the course of uh, which he then wanders downstairs into the basement, which, again, if anyone who's seen horror movies thinks this is not a wise idea. No, and in the basement, who does he find? Well, actually, in, in the basement, first of all, he hears these kind of like, uh, uh, kind of calls. It's not um, it's not Sylvester Stallone from Rocky. <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's actually, uh, well, we don't know who it is at the moment, but there's a TV being shown down there, and um, 
there's obviously people living there in the basement, more than one person. And when he, falls... when he, yeah, when he leans the TV, because the TV is facing into the, the wall that are being played, but when he pulls it back and looks at it, it's actually playing uh, what I assume is the news from Desert Storm, It's uh, which dates the yeah. movie. It's, uh, it's the Iraq War. It's the Iraq War, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they're watching the Iraq War happen. And um, as as whoever whoever is in the walls, as it were, whoever's in the basement, um, angrily pulls the TV back, full runs and trips over um, a body on the floor, and it's the body of Spencer, who who we learn has potentially died of fright. This is the thing. It's, um, we'll come into what killed Spencer later yeah. on. But yeah, it, it, Spencer's hair has turned very white, and Fool said, you know, he he, he just thought he was white before, so he's clearly died of fright. Um, and and also his uh, his hand has been pulled into his arm has been pulled into the wall and his hand partially chewed. Um, so, yeah, so he, you know he's we're not quite sure how he's died, but he is dead nevertheless. Which obviously sets um, um, which sets fool. Well, actually, yeah, fool um, then trying to make his getaway goes up the stairs, which the stairs disappear or at least collapse into a slide, which slides him back into the basement, which is fairly alarming. Um, yeah. And then I think one of the one of the a, a, a creature a, a a person jumps out from out of hiding, tries to wrestle fool to the ground, um, which he has to basically scamper away from and get out of that place as quick as he can. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yeah, so, and the 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 the, the Robesons come home and all hell breaks loose. Effectively, yeah, Fool was raced upstairs to find um, to find Leroy, who was also lying yeah. on the ground. So Fool thinks he's dead too. Um, yeah. that Leroy was just trying to inspect one of the gratings, looking yeah. for the loot. So yeah, uh, the Robesons come up. They come home. They they obviously are aware that someone's broken in, mainly because the truck, uh, the van is in the uh, driveway. They come in, um, and then uh, the the the, uh, the the man, as it were, gets the gun. Um, is then on a, a bit of a rampage trying to find the well, the, yeah, the dog the, comes in first, um, and Leroy's yeah. rather failed ambush to get the dog um, leads the dog to attack them again. Um, whereupon Fool hits upon the idea that they've already tried to get out the front door, which is electrified. So as soon as you touch the doorknob, you get zapped. Um, yeah. So as the dog is biting Leroy's arm, Fool takes yeah. hold of Leroy's other arm and drags them all to the the doorknob, where he holds the doorknob and electrocutes all three of them. Um, but the dog, being small, I guess, takes a greater shock and leaves the two of them to escape upstairs once again. We're so uh, at this point in the movie, we're, we're about we're about 20, 25 minutes yeah. in. Fool basically he's he's found Spencer dead. He's also he's also found a, a, a I suppose a, a group of a group of children, pale children or, or young adults, I suppose. Yeah, they are young stuff. adults. Yeah, they're, they're bigger than all of Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A dungeon-like pen, I suppose, in the basement as well. The Robesons have come home. Effectively, Leroy is shot to death. He's found in the hallway of, of the first floor of the house. He's shot to death. Um, and at this point, Fool notices a little kind of like a, 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 a like a knitted figurine of um, of I guess it's Spencer, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, who, who on on a piece of string, which is which is moving from the hall into the um, into the ventilation shaft, indicating that Fool should follow the the doll. Fool does follow the doll, goes into the the ventilation shaft uh, or the, the kind of like the crawl space within the house, comes out into uh, uh, like a bathroom, I suppose, really, where he's introduced to Alice in a little bit more detail, and um, Alice looks totally bewildered and surprised to see to see Fool, and um, Fool says to her, well, you've never seen a brother before, uh, obviously indicating that she's never seen a, 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 
black person before and, and she goes well, I've, I don't have any brothers uh, it, it, indicating that she's never been outside she's never seen the neighborhood so something is really amiss here yeah um, and this is where we get a bit of kind of exposition about what's happened effectively um, that people who break into the house or people who um, the Robesons have either stolen or well, I mean, the indication is that they've stolen children yeah. to create a kind of perfect boy or perfect girl but what, but that when those perfect boys or perfect girls see no evil speak or see evil speak evil or hear evil they um, they go biblical on them effectively and cut out their tongues or cut out parts of their bodies or kill them or put them down in the basement where they become the people under the stairs effectively yeah that's where the, that's where the title of the film comes from effectively and one of the one of the uh, people under the stairs called roach has escaped from um, the basement um, and is living in the crawl spaces of the house um, and is tormenting uh, daddy effectively um tormenting daddy by um you know i suppose not really playing practical jokes per se but i think he's uh, tormenting them by simply being there he's he's he's, 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 he's trying to escape he's also causing he's causing problems by setting traps uh by being there by calling out uh etc etc and so you know this guy roach then helps fool to escape the robesons um and to kind of like delve deeper and deeper and deeper into the house into the crawl space of the house so that's that's the kind of that's where we're at, at that particular point in time. So it moves at quite a pace, and, and, and you know what what we have at this particular moment in time is full within the house, being uh, hunted by Mummy and Daddy Roberson, and being helped by Roach to kind of um, escape at the very least, but at least to avoid being killed by by them. What we see at the moment as well is that. Um, uh, Daddy Roberson has a nice line in wearing a gimp outfit. Yeah, but uh, he goes hunting. We should say that, that, that Daddy Roberson is a big fella. Um, yeah, he is. And, yeah, he's and, described as a man the size of Detroit. Yes. <laughs> and, and so yes, yeah, so when when um, so when he goes hunting, he puts on a, literally a gimp outfit, um, black leather and studs and the mask and everything, and then he gets his shotgun out and paces around the house, blasting randomly at trying to shoot things. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, there's a lot of shooting into the walls in this film. I do worry about the architecture and the uh, structure <laughs> of the house. And there's only so many wall. There's only so many, so much a wall can take Indeed. before it collapses. Surely. <laughs> well, as, as we'll find out, they have not much respect for the integrity of the house afterwards. But yeah, so um, so, so Daddy <laughs> yeah, Robson is, is hunting things down because um, <clears throat> they've now learned that, of course, that there is a, a third burglar. They've learned about Fool because they didn't realise Fool was there at the start, but they've since looked at the van and found the Boy Scout uniform, realising that Fool was yeah. part of the gang so they're after him um yeah. and and, right. and essentially chasing him down i think there, there's there's a bit of toing and froing for all quite you know he gives a good account of himself actually there's, i think it was one memorable point when he uh, appears out of nowhere and punches daddy ribston in the bollocks <laughs> yeah it, it reminded me much uh of the uh conversation we had about um uh Quincy Quincy down under yes so but yeah so um so yeah, Fool is kind of is pulling all the digits. He's like you know, gouging eyes and stamping on toes and, and kicking in soft areas. But he's, he's basically doing his best to get away. He's not really you know a match for, for either of the Robesons. Um, but then uh, Roach reveals himself and saves Fool, kind of drags him into the crawl space yeah. uh, to get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point Roach is then shot. Um, we, we later find out fatally. 
Uh, and and so he uh, he perishes, uh, leaving just Alice and uh, and Fool to make their way through the core spaces to get away, which they eventually yeah. get up to the attic to do so. And we should say at this point, um, while they were, while they were kind of finding their bearings, um, Daddy Robson has disposed of both Spencer and Leroy by dragging them <laughs> to the basement, uh, f- throwing bits of them to be eaten raw by the, uh, the people behind the stairs, and just yes. dumping the rest in the septic tank. It's quite a vivid scene, isn't it? Really, it is. Uh, it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of carcass and um, there's a lot of carcass and butchery happening. Not for the faint of heart, I don't think. No. Uh, no. And, and then if the, 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 the carcasses are thrown into the the cesspit yeah. underneath the uh, underneath the basement yeah. as well. And so a not, good, not a happy end for Ving Rhames. He doesn't, in, you know, that and Pulp Fiction neither end particularly well for him. No, um, it's, it's hard to choose which end he'd prefer. Most, at least, at least it was quick when he got shot. Um, he'd get shot in the bollocks. He did by a gimp again. <laughs> I don't, yeah, and he was dead when he was um, disemboweled. So there you um, are. I think I'd have taken this. <laughs> there was actually there was one moment when uh, to keep keep Prince the Rottweiler um, keen on man flesh that Spencer's hand is fed to him by uh, yeah. by Mrs. Robson, um, ring and all. And there's a later point when when Prince is once again chasing down Fool, who's basically trying to push him back through the dog flap, and he makes some comment, "What have they been feeding you?" At which point um, Prince coughs up the ring. Yeah, <laughs> which is a nice <laughs> moment of comedy. It is, it is. Um, but anyway, so, so after some, basically, there's a lot of cat and mouse going on, um, which ends up with Fool and Alice um, up in the attic. Um, yeah. Upon Fool's device, he can he can jump out over and land in the in the duck pond um, and make his getaway. Alice yeah. is supposed to follow him, but she just really takes fright and and is too afraid to go. She also believes at this point that they're her mother and father, and she you know she can't dishonor their mother and father because that's been beaten into her as well. Yeah, um, that's right. But. It's about halfway through the film when Fool does indeed make his escape from the house. He, he does. jumps into the water. He you know, avoids more shots. And he jumps over the fence and he's away. And he's and that's it. He's done. He and, and any he sensible makes, person makes, would. He makes his escape with a couple of um, gold coins as well, which Fool has, uh, which Roach has given that's him. That's it. Yeah, Roach gave him the gold coins. So there was yeah, uh, the not not all of the gold coins, but just a few of them. And he takes them home and he enlists the. Um, the, the the skills of a I don't know like a um, I suppose it's a uh, a knowledgeable local no, he's, um, his, he's his grandpa well, grandpa Booker yeah grandpa Booker. he's played played by yeah. Bill Cobbs who yeah but really the actor Bill Cobbs was made for the name Grandpa Booker that's just the kind of character he plays he <laughs> plays knowledgeable folksy old black men yeah exactly yeah we, we, and uh, um, there's a uh, well, well we'll we'll come on to that particular trope um, yeah. as we go into the analysis because yeah folk, folksy old black men seem to play quite a, a, a role in, in horror films. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, it's Grandpa Booker not only confirms they are real gold coins, he, he gives us more backstory about what's, what goes on in the Robeson house and what it was all they about. Are not, they are not actually um, husband and wife, but they are actually brother and sister. Yes. Um, and each each generation of the Robeson family are more twisted and warped than the previous. Uh, and the culmination is, is the, the Robesons that currently live there at the moment. So, you know, what, what, what fool is... Is then deciding to do is right. They've got the they've got the money to be able to pay for um, the mother's operation and to be able to pay for the rent for a thousand years. Um, <laughs> as Booker says. So uh, you know, with with that solved, um, he fool being the upstanding um, young member of society that he is says, I've actually you know it's unfinished business. I said that I'd go and help Alice. So he goes back, mm. goes back to rescue Alice. At this point. Yeah. Um, what I will say, actually, in, in, in kudos to both Fool and the writing, his first action is to do what any sensible person was and call social services and the police. Yes, that's so he, exactly he, he, that's, right. his, that's his first action, and they, 
and they caused yeah. them to have no good at all. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. I was what I was fully expecting to have happened was him just break into the house. I was thinking, well, why didn't he just call the police? Yeah. Well, he did call the police, so that's great. He called the police. They turn up and they are wooed by the Robesons' genteel manner, yeah. their um, their decadence in their house, their the delicious cakes that uh, Mummy um Robeson makes etc etc um they even uh, they say that basically they don't have any children they even go into Alice's room and the the impress the, the indication that they give is that Alice was taken away from them when they were young she died when they were young and they they basically don't believe the the, the, the core at this point we realize that actually fool has broken into the house anyway they've left the back door open and he's He's secretly come in and he's been hiding in the kitchen. And uh, as the Robesons go to bed, he creeps out of the kitchen. He hears them upstairs talking about the fact that they're going to try and find him and kill him. Um, he goes into, he, he takes a poker, like a, um, what, what is it? He's yeah, like poker, a hot poker fire, out, of the yeah. fire, uh, out of the stove, uh, the fireplace, sorry, with the, with the intention of hitting um, the Robesons over the head. He goes into the bedroom poker in hand and then realizes that it's actually a recording of their voices yes. and they are fully aware that um that uh, he has broken into the house and here we have uh, you know, fully gimped mask um <laughs> roberson and and the woman um recapture him basically they recapture him um and uh, again he's 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 in dire straits effectively alice at this point we find out has been chained in the attic yeah. uh, with her arms up um which is problematic she doesn't like the attic it's scary for her she's there as it were so yeah. that's actually has gone has gone to her before at this point before he got captured i think and has he got, is this the point he gets there, or does he get to happen? It's hard to keep track of where everyone is at this time. But Fool has, has clued her in the fact that they are not her parents, and that, that yeah. kind of means Alice now also wants to escape with Fool. That's right. So Fool, Fool, Fool manages to escape again. I think um, this is, from, again, it's, it's hard to say which bit, because yeah. he's been captured several times, but he does manage to escape again, and he and Alice get onto the roof. Um, again. Again, <laughs> but they're, they're on the actual roof this time, the top of the roof, yeah. where they um their, their, plan, their plan is they... Uh, yeah, they they um they they cause they they basically disturb the chimney, which causes uh, Daddy to to lean out to, to stick his head into the fireplace and look up to see what's happened. Whereupon they drop a brick on him, yeah. um, which yeah. which uh, donks him enough. And then they all basically jump down the chimney. I think Fool is then captured again and put into the yeah. uh, put into the the into the cellar and given to the people under the stairs who turn out aren't savage cannibals so much because one of them then wants to help Fool and gives him an escape route out the back. Out the um, back, yeah. Uh, by which time he, he he shows him into the into the room in the basement with the other children with, with the other um, people under the stairs, which ha- which is housed which houses. Uh, the treasure, effectively, um, a huge money, amount of, of coin and, and coins. Fool yeah. uh, uh, has a nice line. He says, "No wonder there's no wonder there's no money in the ghetto," yeah. uh, implying that it's all in this room. It's basically Scrooge McDuck's money pit if it was really dirty. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, so he's found all this plus dynamite, which is where they keep it. Yeah. <laughs> there's dynamite yeah. everywhere. Um, Alice again is it, it been um, dragged around by the hair by uh, by her mama. Um, but then there's a call on the door, and Ruby and Grandpa Booker are, uh, are knocking at the door uh, to deliver basically a petition. I couldn't quite work out if this is just coincidence, whether they were backing up Fool. Um, cause I think they said, that they were backing up Fool at this point. Yeah, which is a strange thing to do because if they knew he was going into the house alone, they, yeah. they, they, it's a strange way of, of giving him support. But anyway, they're there at the nick of time to uh, to basically deliver a petition. Um, the woman is, of course, of having none of it. She, uh, Mrs. Robeson is prepared to slam the door in their faces. Um, um, I think she's then, 
she's about then pulls a gun to come them either way, but then the whole community um, turns up. It's like a, the entire ghetto is turned out outside their house. So obviously yeah. there's far too many witnesses for them to, to deal with. And yeah. I think at that point, um, the woman is overpowered and everyone gets into to the basement, but uh, the man is still wandering around the basement with his shotgun uh, and looking for Fool, who is also deeper in the basement in the money pit. Um, and there is a a whole sequence where the Mrs. Robson then escapes from the custody of the whole community that was <laughs> wandering around. Um, but the people under the stairs essentially get out from under the stairs and they, they catch her in the kitchen. They start, they burst out the cupboards and the floors. Hands are, the hands are smashing through walls in the traditional sense. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. um, and she is eventually got, I think, by her own carving knife. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and, and, you know, uh, full sets off an explosion in the basement, which kills, um, Daddy. Yes, although uh, we have, we have this, this, this deserves just. Whereas Fool doesn't just suffer an explosion; he he yeah. faces Daddy down. Dad, um, actually, it's quite yeah. clever. Daddy is he is the coins dropping, um, which he thinks is Fool counting up the coins. So he gets his shotgun and sneaks around the corner, and Fool has somehow the, the quite the brainwave of getting a load the of candles. Attitude, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's got a load of candles, and he shoved, he stuck a load of gold coins at various intervals in those candles. And as the candle burns down, a coin falls. Um, so chink, 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 each of the coins are falling, and that's what Daddy hears and thinks it's full counting. So he gets caught off guard, and then he's faced by Fool holding two detonator wires, which he's clearly got the nose to, well, I don't to know set what, up. I don't know what's, what's more fortitude, really. The, the, the ability to think that a set of candles will make it sound like I'm counting money, or the knowledge of how to set up an, uh, a huge explosion yeah. in the house. So he, he I mean, just, it's impressive either way. He literally as he faces him down and then manages to basically quick on the draw, sets off the explosion before he gets shot. So then Daddy's blown up, and the money is is blown into the air and lands upon the community who snatch it all up. But there's still plenty left for Fool at the end, who is again reunited with Alice and uh, his sister and his grandpa and all the money. And yeah. and he, the, the last, the final scene is you you see the people under the stairs in their kind of pale oh, face. Yeah, they get away too. <laughs> They get away too, yeah. So they kind of like wander out, kind of bemused at what's going on. So everyone escapes, uh, and that, so and that so is the end of the Let's just film. reiterate that the cannibals who've been completely yeah. socially ostracised for yeah. God knows how long and have no social skills, but yeah. like human flesh, are set free on the streets. Well, they weren't the baddies. Steve. They weren't the baddies, but they 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 probably <laughs> you know they, they would have probably think nothing about eating someone they came across. So I think they could do with a bit of social care rather than just <laughs> let loose. I, I I'm presuming that they would have got the help that they needed. That's, that's very good of you to think that. I, I'm assuming they just wandered off and started eating people. <laughs> well, if they were going to do that, there was like a whole group of people outside the house they could have just started on. Well, they weren't that hungry like at that point. Wait, wait till they get hungry. They just gorged on the woman, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so maybe it ended happily. But again, actually, we should give the fool's last line to himself when he's surrounded by the money saying, How you doing, fool? I feel like a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be honest, that combined with the standoff with the detonator cords, really, that could have been delivered by Bruce Willis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, we'll come on to the, the, the script of the film and, yeah. and, 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 and how it plays out in a bit. But, I mean, that is effectively the synopsis of that the is, film. So, so we can... Yeah. Because I mean, you, what what you, you'll probably find as we go through in, in the analysis of the film is that it gets a little bit complicated to think about the plot points during the film because there are various points in it where everyone's escaped multiple times and everyone is running around the same house multiple times and the house is obviously 
supposed to be quite labyrinthine and, and look the same in the walls. It's quite hard to explain at what point things happen in the yeah, film. There's many captures and escapes and recaptures <laughs> and, and yeah. fights and etc. And I should also say, my memory of this is, is sketchy, that even though I watched it yesterday, I normally have another listen or watch to refresh my memory. Um, this one I could only watch the once. <laughs> Yeah, same thing. I watched it uh, yesterday as well. So that's okay. uh, yeah. But, but anyway, anyway, there we are. It's the end of the film. That's 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 the film. Yep. But we are going to delve deeper. Forty minutes. We're going to pry off the floorboards and uh, and take a deeper look at what lies beneath uh, in yeah. our analysis. Join us then. Be careful. Welcome back. Uh, I'm glad you made it this far. Uh, let's see how many of us get through to the final reel. Uh, as we uh, come to the analysis part of our podcast, well, I would invite uh, Dr. James Evans Esquire to tell us why he chose The People Under the Stairs for May's movie. Um, well, I suppose the first thing to say is that um, we haven't really had a bona fide horror film on Weekend at Crombis. There's been some horrific films, certainly, Um Newsies, I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps from Hugh's perspective, um, Phantom of the Paradise is one oh, no, of those. In the dark. Oh, Dancer in the Dark. I've, I've, I've been quite contrite of Phantom of the Paradise. Um, Dancer in the Dark. <laughs> Dancer in the Dark. Yeah. Was a truly so, horrific uh, movie. But, uh, and we've had some. We've had some movies that have had. Um, horror elements to it I think Seconds is perhaps one of those films that although not a horror film has a kind of psychological horror element to it but we've not had a bona fide horror film from a bona fide horror director in Wes Craven um, obviously of Nightmare on Elm Street fame and Scream fame indeed um, and uh, so I, I wanted to kind of uh, I wanted to, to to kind of write that wrong <laughs> as, as it were <laughs> for a number of reasons I mean firstly I'm a horror I'm a horror fan a big horror fan um, and uh, I, I kind of acknowledge that that you're perhaps not so w- when picking a horror film I, what I tried to do was to think about the, the 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 protocols of Weekend at Crombie's so it had to still link in with it couldn't just be a, a particularly grim or problematic horror film per se it had to be a horror film that I think fitted within the the pantheon, the 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 style, the the generic kind of tropes that you might see within a weekend at Crombie's film. Okay. I also think that al- although the people under the stairs was relatively commercially successful for a horror film of its budget, um, it's not particularly well regarded um, and has been it, it it's not really a bit well thought of. Um, nowadays it's largely forgotten in Wes Craven's kind of filmography really okay. and I think as an idea as, why that should be um I, I don't know it's one of those things really what why why is Breaker Morant not more yeah. well known in this country when it really should be it's a great film I'm not saying that um the people under the stairs is is, is in the same kind of level as as Breaker Morant but but you know there are odd things that happen with films I think partly perhaps um if you look at Wes Craven's filmography at that time, he'd made um, The Last House on the Left, he'd made A Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and he'd made The Hills Have Eyes, all of which were, I think, much tougher horror films than The People Under the Stairs. Um, you may disagree with that, not being a horror aficionado and not not you know not 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 really kind of buying into the horror kind of film genre and tropes, you but. When you watch a film like The Last House on the Left, which is quite a despicable film about a rape revenge, effectively, or you watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is a very well-known horror film, and it's a it's a fantasy horror film, but it's very 
hard. It's a hard horror film in many ways. It's quite grim and quite gruesome. You know, it's about child molestation, child murder, etc., etc. There's elements of that in this film, but it's played a lot lighter, I think, in that regard. Okay. You may disagree with that as well. But I've seen none of the films you've mentioned, including Nightmare on Elm Street. No, okay, fine. So, but so if they're worse than this one, I think I've made the right call in not watching them. Uh, oh, they are, yeah. So, yeah, they, they are, they are. But And, and so I think, and I, I also wonder whether um, the, the film itself, with its, and we'll come on to this, with its satirical kind of um, uh, underpinning and its, um, its, I don't know, it's the fact that its main protagonists perhaps are, are, are not what you might expect within a horror film as well. Yeah, it yeah, makes it hit the right market at the time that audiences weren't willing to go and see a film where the main protagonist was a small black child. I don't know. You know, for whatever reason, it wasn't a successful it wasn't it didn't it didn't linger in its success it was quite successful at the time it went to number one actually in the in the uh, uh, charts um, when it was released it, I think it stayed there for a couple of weeks but has pretty much fallen into obscurity um, so that was one of the reasons I wanted to watch it uh, uh, for, for part of the process it had to kind of adhere to that the second one was that um, I've when I was, um, uh, I suppose in, in, in the mid 90s I, I watched people on the stairs for the first time I've watched it three or four times subsequently although not again okay. promise, not for a long time certainly not since the 1990s anyway um and i remember it fondly um much like a lot of weekend at crombie's films you do i remember it fondly i remember it as one of the films perhaps with candy man which is another film from the early 90s um uh, that kind of first started me getting interested in horror films. So and Candy, Candyman is also classed as that's a silly question. That's also a horror film. I would suggest that Candyman is a so horror film. Candyman, yeah. I have both watched and enjoyed, strangely. Yeah. yeah, well, Candyman, I think, is a horror film, but it's a slightly more cerebral horror film in the sense that it deals with it deals with um, philosophical perceptions about um, belonging. It, it deals with um, the idea of these, the kind of concept of the urban myth and what that means in um, American culture. It deals with um, kind of almost kind of Reagan era economics, and I think it shares quite a lot with the people under the stairs, actually. Okay. Not, not, not in its not in its urban mythologizing, I suppose, but certainly in its depiction of economic realities. And the movie as a metaphor in many ways, which Candyman is, I think. You can read Candyman on two ways. You can read it as a bit of a rip-roaring horror movie, which is uh, a bit, bit kind of genre-defining, I suppose, but yeah. it's an entertaining film. I think you can read the same for The People Under the Stairs as well. Okay. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of Wes Craven's lesser-known films. Uh, it, it's in between The Nightmare in Elm Street High and The Scream kind of... Um, uh, Commercial. Kind of his career, commercial side of his career as yeah, well. Yeah, speaking of horrors, I've also enjoyed Scream, but I was also very aware that these were commercial horror films, not yeah. horror yeah. horror it, films. It, yeah, it, actually, in many ways, um, The People Under the Stairs reminds me of, um, it, it is what, it is to Wes Craven what Darkman was to um, Sam Raimi, yeah. in the sense that he'd had commercial success with low-budget horror films previously, but his big success was still to come. Yeah. And it was a kind of like intermediate kind of phase. Interesting that they're both made around the same time. Um, so, you know, and they're both kind of trying to figure out satirical because it's all about time. It's all, it's all, it's all a homage to this kind of process. People understand it's very satirical in that process as well. Yeah. So that's why I chose the people. I also wanted just to, you know, what, 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 what do you think of this? What, 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 what the hue is? Just to see how far you could push me. 
I mean, no, because because realistically, um, you, there, you know, I, I could have pushed you a lot more than the people under the stairs. Um, but, but it was in season three of Weekend at Crumbies that took a dark turn. <laughs> So, so that's so that's the reason why I chose the people yeah. under the stairs. Okay, just to give you an advance. I'm picking Newsies two as my film for next month. <laughs> oh God, Newsies two. It's it's when they go into magazines. It's called Glossies. Yeah, but surely Newsies two is just Bugsy Malone. Oh, Bugsy Malone. If that was less successful, but we're getting distracted. So let, let's, let's if stay. only Bugsy Malone was less successful, then in thirty years' time we could have used it as one of the episodes of Weekend at Crummies. Curse you, Jodie Foster. <laughs> Oh, that would be worth doing just to look at it, though, because, again, having Jodie Foster walk around what is essentially um, a school play, <laughs> you know, with with her Oscar-winning quality is really quite hilarious. Yeah. I like the fact that, you know, you were so scarred by horror films that you are now talking about Bugsy Malone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's, let's yeah. go. Let's, let's, go, let's go through this. OK, begin, James. Let's, let's dive into People Under the Stairs, so to speak. So the, yeah, so the people under the stairs. So there's a couple of things I want to mention first of all. The people under the stairs um, is an is an interesting film for a number of reasons. That that for me a significant reason is that it has as its protagonist and its main thrust of kind of plot points, I guess really, or, or reasons why that that the plot moves as it is. Um, the economic realities of um, disenfranchised black families in large American cities. And perhaps with the exception of um, Candyman, which isn't about disenfranchised black families, I will add, but is about a black figure, yeah. is very rare in horror. Um, there is not, it is not often, unless it is very explicitly a, a black horror film, like a black exploitation film, or a film about black characters. Or like Candyman, because Candyman is, is very much like, yeah, this, this is almost a throwaway, though the fact that their social status is, is important to the film, it's it's not what it's all about. It's not that film where the hero is a black kid. It's just, no, no, exactly. just one of the no. facts of it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that The People Under the Stairs is quite a rare beast in the horror genre that it has its as its main protagonist who has agency mm. a young black child um and who is doing the things that he's doing for the benefit of a black family in economic dire straits effectively and it's only really until very recently where we have the emergence of jordan peele in films like get out and us where we do see genuine black horror with black actors and black characters playing significant roles with satirical uh, reflections on the social systems and the societies that they live in. Um, now, Wes Craven isn't black. He's a white director. And so it doesn't have that kudos with it, I guess, really. You can never know the details of the black experience in that regard. That's what I was wondering, too, because it was, it was heavily yeah. leaning on that. And I thought, well, where's, where's he coming from in this? And, and, and I think that's quite an interesting point, because I think Wes Craven has been given quite a lot of props in um, black cinema for the people under the stairs as one of a few examples of horror films, which the main characters were black. And it was about the black experience in many ways. And it was within the Hollywood system and it was relatively successful at the time. It's an unusual, it's an unusual example of horror. You don't see it very often. Equally, there is the trope in horror of, um, well, there's two kind of tropes in horror. The first one is the last girl standing, yeah. effectively, which is effectively saying that there's one girl that always lasts toward the end of the film. The other trope is 
um, that the black character is always the first to be killed. Um, and that and that's played quite nicely in Scream 2, where Jada Pinkett Smith is um, is is killed in the toilet uh, very early on in Scream 2. The pre-credits. Pre-credits pointedly saying that because I'm a black character, I shouldn't really be doing this because I know I'm going to get killed, etc., etc., etc. So it, you know, the, the, it plays on that. And Wes Craven obviously has done that very well in, in examples moving later on in his kind of filmography. So in, in The People Under the Stairs... You, I mean, black characters get killed in it, but the principal driving agency of the film is a young black child, played um, uh, full, basically, um, who who is who is you know full agency is driven by the economic dire straits of his particular family. So I think that's a really interesting kind of place that the people under the stairs has in horror in the horror genre, irrespective of the success of the film or whether it, whether it's a critical success or not, whether it's lasted per se, I think because of that, it, hold, it, it should hold a significant market. I, I think that without The People Under the Stairs, for example, I don't think you would have a film like Get Out or, or, or more recently Us, um, the, the, the kind of Jordan Peele film that was released last year. And actually the, 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 the hot poker in the fireplace scene in The People Under the Stairs was riffed very strongly in us um, in in the home invasion sequence as well. So there is an element of that in there. So you see that Jordan Peele is basically paying homage to the people under the stairs, which is interesting. The second point which I wanted to raise about it is that it does quite, for me, it does quite nicely is raise the spectre of um, uh, kind of late Reagan era Reaganomics or very early George Bush politics in America, where the ghetto was um, demonized, where the idea that the black man was a savage and a beast. I mean, these aren't these aren't tropes that are new to America, but they were promoted very strongly in the late 80s and the early 90s with the idea that you would have um, the kind of ghettoization of whole cultures and whole societies. And effectively, you'd have kind of landlordism and landlord culture and societies being driven through kind of white culture as well, which, if you take it to its logical extreme, is the kind of situation that we face at the moment where we have a system of housing stock, which is owned predominantly by a small number of individuals over a period of time. And what you find then is that people are at the behest of these individuals who own. Now, I'm not going to get into politics in this particular yeah. context, but there is a very strong I'm not saying that it's particularly subtle, but it's a horror film. It's quite sledgehammer um, in, in your face, really. But there is that element there, which is trying to show the discrepancy of the lifestyles and the processes and the, the, the kind of contexts there. The third element that I wanted to highlight is in that context of the ghettoization of certain parts of the city or society, you also have the decadence of the other side of the society as well. And that's writ large in the mansion on the one hand, which I think is quite interesting, the dichotomy or the oxymoron of the mansion and uh, the kind of the projects that the individuals live with, owned by the same people. But also what you do find is that within the mansion, you have a kind of substrata as well. So you've got the yeah. decadence of the mansion itself, and it bleeds into the idea of urban decay, which exists within the crawl spaces and in the basement of the house it, itself. So it could be read, and I don't know if this is the case, I don't know if this is what Wes Craven actually intended, it could be read as 
the creeping fear of the ghettoization for white culture. Effectively, you've got the growth of the projects. You've got the, 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 you can even see it as a kind of a gentrification of certain areas of the city or cities, as it were, encroaching on those traditional white neighborhoods, as it were. The decay of the decadence actually is coming in. And those individuals, the Robesons in that regard, are seeing the kind of the, the visual metaphor of their house crumbling away is the visual metaphor of the society that they live in without realizing that they are actually the creatures of the crumble. They are the creatures that are causing the house to crumble around them because they keep firing shots into the walls, because they keep feeding the children that they've ostracized, that they cut their tongues off, the bodies and the meat of the people that they're killing, etc., etc. And you know, it's not it's not subtle. It's sledgehammer in your face satire, but it is nevertheless quite interesting that Wes Craven probably Wes Craven in this film has gone for it. Yeah. He's basically said, you know what, I am going to go for this in this film, and he doesn't hold back. The final thing I wanted to add with the analysis as well is that despite the film, and you may disagree with this um, quite strongly, but the, despite the film being um, a, a horror film with some quite grisly moments in it and with some moments of um, tension as well, yeah. for me it, it, ha it has a lot of the tropes of a fairy tale. It has a lot of the tropes of a kind of Hansel and Gretel type of mystery and story um, where if you were to transpose the movie or the setting of the movie, say, two or three hundred years earlier, you would have a very strong Hansel and Gretel style movie, really, or style story. I quite like that. In effect, in essence, I think this children's film, really, <laughs> in the sense that it's about a boy who goes into a house to steal gold in order to save his family. And it's about the ogres that live in the house who are trying to prevent him from stealing that. And by the way, they also steal all of these other children as well. Yeah. It's a children's film writ into the horror genre. It's obviously not a children's film. I wouldn't <laughs> pretend that my seven, your seven-year-old or your five-year-old or my three-year-old or whoever goes to watch the film. Certainly not. But if I was a 13 or 14-year-old, this would be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Now, I guess you'd be but, to understand yeah, what, what's at stake and what's going on here. Yeah, you do. It's very moralistic in this particular context. And it's very, it's, it's, it, again, there's no subtlety. There is no subtlety in this at all. So the morals are writ large. They are in your face. They are yeah. on the screen. And so you've got, no, you're coming into that very, you're very clearly knowing what the situation is. And, and, and as I say, if I was a 13 or a 14 year old, I would absolutely love to watch this. And actually, when I watched this for the third, for the first time, I probably was. A 13 year old or a 14 year old and I have very fond memories of it because of that and you note that I'm saying that a 13 and a 14 year old watching a film which is certificated 15 is it 15? It's a 15 yeah certificated right. 15 and so I think that actually matches the kind of mindset of the film itself it's an adolescent film it's sledgehammer in your face it's not subtle it's um slightly bombastic in that style it's full of quite gratuitous humor quite salacious humor in many ways and i think if you're a 13 or 14 year old you, you know you, you're, you're a young teenager this is great this is like oh this is illicit this is a little bit um, on, on the edge i shouldn't really be watching this there's lots of gore in it, it there's swearing in it etc etc yeah um, I, mean, this is, I was thinking about it now there's a certain amount of agency again for a 13 year old because again it's his, it's his 13th birthday yeah. his um, fool's 13th birthday which actually leroy points out is a rubbish age to be because as he says you're too old for tit you're too young for ass oh yes brilliant <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But but despite that, you know, fool, you know, fool is you know he's 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 got the frame of a of a regular thirteen year old boy, and as we mentioned, um, the daddy is huge. But fool gets the better of him physically 
quite a number of times. He like at one point when uh, he pokes his head through the wall and full whacks him with a toilet cistern. Again, he does punch him in the balls. He uh, there's a few and he stamps his foot. There's a few times when he physically bests him in ways yeah. that actually realistically no 13 year old probably would over a grown man. But it's that sense of agency that again a 13 year old watches and think, yeah, I could do that. If, you know, if I if yeah. I got the drop on someone like that, I could whack him a good whack and then get get the hell out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know the. Part, part of the point of the film is that it isn't supposed to be massively realistic in that yeah, regard. Yeah. You, you know, it, it, and that's what I mean by a fairy story or, or a, an adventure story for a 13-year-old to be in that situation. I mean, the number of times that he escapes the clutches of the Robesons and then falls into the clutches and escapes them again, and the number of times that there are ridiculous ways that he kills people or gets out of scrapes, yeah. it's a bit stupid. It's not supposed to be anything other than a bit stupid, though. I, I don't think, you know, it, it, within the context of this particular genre and this particular film, it's it's a bit daft. Yeah. Um, and I think that ties into that kind of, um, you know, boys adventure type thing. This this kid is in a house and he's wandering around the crawl spaces and he's got a, you know, he's he's, he's got a, a a hot poker and he's kicking people in the balls and you know all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's at what point he actually he, he wrestles with the dog. He's, he said he was tired of running. He's going to deal with the dog. Um, exactly. And again, he he manages by that basically when the Rottweiler attacks him, he slams yeah. him into the wall. At which point, Daddy's got a, a bayonet on the end of his rifle now, who stabs through the wall and thinks he thinks he's killed Fool when in fact he's killed his own dog. He's killed um, his own dog, yeah, exactly. But also that was the point of, you know, the the, the, the child, the hero thing, faces down one of the, the protagonists with Rottweiler's terrifying to the point that Leroy's scared of him um, and actually defeats him, and again, which is again that, that sense of, of empowerment, that kind of wish fulfilment. Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, and in that regard, the, um, the Fool, who's played by Brandon Adams, is, is he, he's, you know, He's not in a great situation in that particular house, but you can't you do root for him in that regard. You know, he's oh, yeah. he's he's got chutzpah. He's 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 got sass, hasn't he? You know, he doesn't he doesn't he's not a whiny child. He's not the kid in Speed Racer. <laughs> no, and actually, I will say again, as as an actor, he carries the film very well. A lot it of does, it rests uh, on him. A lot of it rests on him because the film's about him effectively. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, Ving Rhames' demise although inevitable, happened quicker than I thought it would because I thought they'd keep an adult around for a little bit longer to give to get to, to help them with, the, with the weight of the film. But no, it's, um, he goes quick, and so it is basically down to, to Brandon Adams. To, what is his name? Um, yeah. To, Brand, Brandon Adams. Brandon Adams, yeah. yeah uh, and, and things, I think sometimes you can look, you can look back on things with hindsight as well because when, when, when I watched this yesterday, I, I was... I forgot. I didn't know. I didn't know that Ving Rhames was in this actually, yeah. because when I would have seen it for the first time, I probably wouldn't have seen Pulp Fiction and didn't know who Ving Rhames was. Yeah. This time, looking back, I'm thinking, oh, Ving Rhames, he would have been quite. A, he's quite a big star. Would have been quite a big star, and he's been killed off. But yeah. at the time, he wasn't. He was an unknown, effectively. So it's, there's no reason for him to stay in the film any longer. There's one other thing I wanted to add as well, which is about the um, the Rodesons too. So I find that there's, um, you know, um, going through the film, the strands of the film, the film are very strongly satirical, very strongly a kind of criticism of of, of Reaganomics, econ- Reaganomics economics, effectively in that yeah. regard. But but one of the things that stands out is that the um, the Robesons are that uh, their their main business is that they are funeral directors effectively that yeah. that's 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 what they are they're also liquor store owners but they are also um landlords they, they have a kind of death effectively and in that you have um you have the home you have um the addiction and you have the death and i think that in that regard that the the, the robesons represent the kind of the triumvirate the axis of evil as it were in that regard and maybe i'm reading a little bit too much detail into that but it's just interesting that they are the three areas of business that they are in death trap rentals 
the liquor store and the funeral home. Okay. Um, and, and, and so from, from birth to death, you're effectively in their, in their, in their clutches. Yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. Okay. So, so I mean, that, that, that's my analysis of the film itself, the actual kind of themes of the film. Yeah. The film. I'm, I'm intrigued to know what you think. You may, well, what, what last you word on the Robesons? You may have been watching it through through your fingertips, so didn't get any of that from the film. Well, what, again, one, one last word on the Robesons before we go into my impression of it. I again, I don't watch Twin Peaks either, because it probably scared yeah. me too. But yeah. I understand they were the a husband and wife couple on Twin Peaks. That's uh, correct. Yeah. So Everett McGill and Wendy Roby are um, they're, they're, they're a married couple. They're a married couple, in, in, and they are they are. You know, they're as weird in that as they are in this, as you might expect from Twin Peaks. So they were playing to type then? They were, yes, they were playing to type. Everett McGill has played to type in a number of films in a number of situations. He's, he's one of these actors that, that turns up in, and Wendy Roby actually, they're actors that turn up in these type of horror films. Uh, and they're never really given their dues as actors, I suppose, because I, I, I guess in the long run they're probably seen as they're slightly comedic they're not they're not like proper thespians as it were but they put a real shift in in this film yeah yeah um right so yeah so my thoughts on on the movie is that um again i watched it as as a horror movie and i will say yeah, it, it 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 struck me it was hitting the right beats and again i know kind of what i've seen enough horror movies at least to know what what i'm what i'm enjoying with what i'm what i'm watching it for and they were kind of yeah there were jump scares and they were you know those kind of uh, fake outs and this kind of stuff um and to be honest i was well into it and properly scared by it i was i was disturbed by the people because i also because you, you let your mind go into it so i was disturbed by the people in the stairs that the kind of you know the, the faces behind the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the walls the, the 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 fact that you know spencer got killed by things unknown and um and you know there's just basements and grabbing and no escape yeah. and all that kind of business it was well set up it was a proper can't get out this is this is done for um and i was up for that and my heart was racing and i didn't you know, I, was, I, didn't want, I didn't want to turn the lights on and etc so i was i was properly into it and um i'm not saying the end of the film it, it ended badly but it felt like the beginning the opening premise and the, and the way they initially played out was so much more than mm. the whole film because to be honest by the time I'd finished the film I wasn't scared I was I wasn't no. I was enjoying it and I was I was along with it but it, it had taken away everything that made my heart race and made me a bit jumpy and I think yeah. it was the moment partly it was because we was discussed there's a it's it gets a little bit confusing because I was watching it initially thinking okay this is going to be entirely set in the house How's, how how are they going to orientate me you know, I kind of knew where yeah. the basement was and I knew roughly how to get around but not entirely there were still moments when I knew a character could just be behind a wall and another character would be hunting for them and I wouldn't know how close they were to that character yeah. I'd, know that, I'd just be told they're hidden and they're not But so it wasn't 100% orientated as some movies will do they will give you the you, you can draw the layout in your head because you know where things are um but it, but it was a lot of catching and releasing. Like I say, at some point, Fool gets caught, and then he escapes, and then he hangs up with Alice, and then mm. Alice goes one way, and then Roach appears and drags Fool into the cupboard, and then so it's there's the, there's a little bit of it's a bit loose, but generally it's it's tight in the sense that you have Fool in the house and he's got to get out, and it's yeah. hard for him to get out. And that's that's the, the premise. The, the premise there is simple, isn't it? Yeah, and then once he's he's jumped off the roof and gone in the pond and that kind of stuff. Now I can understand why it's sort of true to his character that he would go back to save Alice because he feels responsibility and in debt to her because she saved him and she didn't get out and he knows how horrible the house is. Mm. But to be honest, the moment he chooses to go back into the house um, voluntarily, knowing what's there, 
does almost turn it into a bit more of an action movie. I made a joke that it was like a Bruce Willis line at the end, but he does become, it's sort of like a a genre shift from a horror movie that is disturbing and it's scary. And there are some funny moments in it. Again, the the ring falling out of the dog's mouth and actually the, the, the daddy character himself is quite cartoonish at one point when he thinks he's stabbed fool when he stabs the dog and he's literally dancing right he's doing a little jig saying ah god whoop, 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 whoop. Um, and it plays off really against the mother who's a very stern stenatorial yeah. figure and that's that's played for laughs but essentially it is a horrific house with horrific people and horrific things that you don't quite know what they are behind the behind the, the stairs um and when he chooses to go back in and fight them and is able to do so in a reasonably yeah. competent way, yeah. it becomes an action movie. He's almost like Bruce Willis in this Die Hard again. And that's kind of how the movie ends. It ends with this, you know, a face-off between a shotgun and a, a stick of dynamite. Um, yeah, so... I think I, th- I agree with you. I, I would say that the genre of the film is horror thriller yeah. r- rather than just full-blown horror because the second half of the film, or maybe it's not quite the second half, but, but the, the, the last 45 minutes at least is, is, mu- is much more... Because Fool has agency and isn't yeah. the victim anymore, it's all about him being the Bruce Willis character, yeah, basically. Yeah. And again, as, as with all things, once I'd seen more of the people under the stairs, yeah. they were a lot less scary to me. When they're, yeah. when it's just shadows and the occasional hand grabbing out, it's terrifying. And when you get to yeah. see them in full, and you know they've got they've got lovely um, lovely uh, coiffured hair. <laughs> so like, what, the, especially, what, what the lead person under the stairs that he communicates with, who actually helps Fool escape and leads the attack on Mama, has got a lot of moose in his hair. He's like he's, he's really big kind of rocker hair, which is impressive what he can do. You know, with just chewing on human bones. Yeah. Um, so actually that. That was kind of interesting for me because, I, like I said, I was watching it thinking, "Oh God, this is a horror movie. Am I going to get through this?" Half the halfway through, and the second half, I was able to. I still enjoy the film, but relax a lot more and just take it in. And even though that was obviously better for me because I got a night's sleep out of it, it, it for me it felt like I haven't seen a full horror movie because it shifted mm. quite quite dramatically. So the the, th- the thing that I don't disagree with you at all with any of that, and I, th- I think the, th- the thing for me, the thing that I find. Um, it's not really frustrating or disappointing. It just seems to be part of part and parcel of of, of horror films. Really, is that, um, that there's always a point in a horror film, unless it's a, unless it's like a, an absolute classic or a really really hard horror film like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example, or something like that. There's always a point in the horror film where once everything's been revealed, it's kind of got nowhere to go. Yeah. Um. So it. it it's not that it peters out necessarily, but it loses its it loses its momentum, it loses its tension a little bit. And um, if you're going into a film because it's a horror film and the horror film loses its tension, you're not left with a lot. Now, actually, I think the people on the stairs, it, although it loses its horror tension a bit, it maintains it maintains propulsion and it maintains momentum quite well because you're rooting for fool quite a lot. Yeah. I think you want you want him to succeed because he's a really good character in it. Um, but I do agree with you that that, that that certainly the first half of the film, the way that it's set up, it's very creepy. Um, it's very eerie. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of jumps in it. And um, it's a it's a it's a full blown horror film, effectively. And there are some quite gruesome and grisly bits in it. And I'm, I've never really been one for, for gore, yeah. particularly. Um, although there, there are a couple of scenes which are quite There's a fair bit of gore in this. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, I'm. I'm much. What I'm much more interested in in horror films is is being scared. Yeah. Um, rather than being grossed out necessarily. I think I find the gross out stuff is a little bit like that, because inevitably the gross out stuff usually highlights 
the budgetary constraints of a film. <laughs> I, I didn't actually, when Prince the Rottweiler has been fed a human hand, it did have a very rubbery quality to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, so, so for me, if, it, if gore enables you to understand that the characters that you're looking at mean business, hmm. then fine. But as long as those characters follow that through in the rest of the film, basically. But uh, gore in and of itself doesn't really work. So I do find that what you've said does... Um, um, it, 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 it does feel very similar to a, a, a lot of experiences that I have, and also that, 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 that Emma has, my wife Emma has, of watching horror films as well, because we're both very big horror fans. Okay. And the, 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 the upper echelons of horror do, do manage to maintain that tension all the way through, even after they've revealed things about it. Probably because some of the very best horror films are inexplicable. They don't have a meaning to them. They're quite nihilistic. What would be a good example or, of that then? That, that, well, the, that, that so, took that attention and maintained it. The, the the perfect example of that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Which if, have you seen that? I haven't, but you won't spoil it for me because I'm probably never likely to. Well, I, I, I won't spoil it anyway. But but okay. I suppose for me, in fact, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre bucks the trend of a lot of horror films, where you'll be watching it for about forty-five minutes to to an hour and you're thinking yeah okay i get this this is this is scary this is scary and i'm i'm nervous about what's going to happen and, and there's tension in me but normally at the 50 minute mark something happens it's revealed and you think oh right okay okay so this is what this is and so therefore from now on it's going to be this and you can kind of relax a little bit because you can plot point the film as towards yeah, the end yeah. at the 50 minute mark the texas chainsaw master ratchets up another level which is unusual, and which is why it's a classic. It ratchets up a level, and it takes away a lot of the meaning that's happened in the first half of the film. And you think, and you genuinely don't know what's going to happen. Okay. And 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 that is where I think some of the best horror films work is when you just don't know what's going to happen, and they are terrifying, and they are tension filled, and you can feel the nervousness. For me, really, the best horror films is when you feel nervous yeah. throughout the whole film, yeah. from start to finish. You don't know what's going to happen, and you come out of it kind of like your your um, your adrenaline's up, you know, your goose pumps, you're sweating a little bit, and you feel great. In the same way, uh, you feel like you've done some exercise, basically. <laughs> It's, but in many ways, it's transcendental in, in that regard. I quite like that feeling of being slightly out of control. Okay. And there's a point in the people under the stairs, and I agree, it's when he escapes, where you're back in control again. Yes, yes. And so you don't feel as scared. It doesn't mean that the film's bad, but it becomes a different thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's where that, that's where it's important. The, the other type of horror film which kind of ratchets up a level or, or, or is, is, is of a classic type is where... Is where the horror film has some very deep philosophical meaning to it, which you can apply more broadly as well. So I think I think um, The Exorcist is a good example of that, where um, the film, I find that film quite terrifying, not necessarily because there are lots of jump scares in it. There yeah. aren't really. Yeah. But what I find terrifying about The Exorcist is the thing in The Exorcist. The fact that a child has been possessed by a demon. And when you're, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, yeah. watching The Exorcist, you don't, I mean, that could have, could that happen? <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be possessed by a demon. I don't want to be possessed by a demon. See, that's funny because I've, I've seen The Exorcist again, knowing its reputation and wanted to see it. I saw it as an adult and probably it carried the weight of its reputation too much ahead of yeah, itself. Yeah. I found it ever so dull. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the thing about The Exorcist for me yeah. is, 
uh, it, it's a cracker for me. And, and I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you about carrying the weight of its reputation. But what it does do quite nicely, I think, is that it, it, it's about it's about faith and it's about losing faith and regaining faith. So the principal character and the principal story in The Exorcist isn't really about Reagan, the girl. Yeah. It's about Father Karras. Yeah. And about he, the, the fact that it's taken this particular exorcism to regain his faith. And that's what the film is about. It's not really a, it is obviously a horror film, but the story itself is about one man losing and regaining his faith yeah. set against a horrific situation. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pure, unadulterated, adrenaline fueled horror. Um, and that's probably why I would put put the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as, as really, really up there um, as a kind of like a, a, a high echelon classic horror film. I mean, there are other, The Shining is another example that's up there for me. The Thing, there's another one that's up there for me. You know, they are, they are films where you, you don't really know what's going to happen in them and you're totally out of control. And because of that, that's horror. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the, the sense of, of being thrown, especially in a movie when if you're fairly genre savvy, you can orientate yourself. Not knowing what's yeah. coming next is the thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I can totally understand, and the people under the stairs, there comes a point in it where you are back in control. And it's, you know, you, you're still slightly on edge because you're you're watching what has been described as a horror film, right? So yeah. you're not quite sure what's going to happen. But you've got the lay of the land. You know, you've got a map now. You've got the topography of the film. You know when you're supposed to be scared and you can prepare for it. Whereas at the start of the film, if you're going into it knowing it's a horror film and you're not quite sure what's happening you're thrown a little bit and that's where you start to worry and in in, in in many ways watching a horror film is much more about what you bring to it than anything you see on screen yes absolutely because, because once you've seen the worst thing on screen it's not really ever that bad oh no absolutely you which know? is again almost reason why i don't like horror movies because i tend to recall things quite vividly um once i've seen them <laughs> so they stay with me i can't i can't easily forget movies so, I mean, you know, in terms of in terms of the in terms of the good things about the film, I yeah. thought that I, I liked the satire. I liked the setup of the film. I thought the set design was fantastic. The house really lives effectively. I thought the acting was uniformly really good. Yes. Um, and, you know, you don't often I mean, horror films aren't renowned for great acting or great scripts. But I thought the acting in this was really good from actors, you know, who aren't household names, you know, and who haven't done a huge amount, I suppose, being Rames apart. Everett McGill and, and Wendy Roby are known for a niche kind of um, performers, I guess, really. I Brandon did make the connection that the, the, yeah, the girl who was playing Alice um, later appeared on My So-Called Life. Yeah, but you know, probably not much else. Much else. No, yeah. didn't do much else really. Um, the script was was funny. It, it was funnier than I remember it being. Probably because as a twelve or thirteen year old, I'm not really getting the jokes about. Um, I'm not really getting the jokes about tits and arse, basically. You know, <laughs> yes. I, I'm not really. Whereas now, looking back, I'm thinking that's quite a funny line. It's a know? good line that one, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's another one where, he, where he, I can't remember the context of it. He says, but 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 um, Leroy says something like, "And I've been, I've been, I've been." Um, Oh, I've been appointed the. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like um. <laughs> it's yeah, really may, 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 disparaging. It's just like, yeah, it's just like, um, yeah. Fool says maybe maybe they've all gone away and yeah, maybe um Reagan's gonna make me the uh the, the secretary of state for pussy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just quite a it's quite. Well, a had some good lines. It was a, yeah, it's an interesting I mean. character. 
And I wasn't expecting it to be funny like that, actually. I don't remember it being funny at all, in, in, actual, in actual fact. Which uh, like, again, most, again, most, some of the horrors I feel in the limited horrors I have seen um, mm. are like from Sam Raimi. So you do get that bit of comedy in there. I guess Wes Craven does comedy in his, his horrors too. So I wasn't surprised at getting the joke. I didn't think, oh, that's, that's out of context. It is, it was, you sometimes just need a bit of a laugh <laughs> in the middle of things. Yeah. To get, you actually, do, you know, and it's a good release mechanism. It's a good release valve. I mean, I'd be interested in what, what horror films have you seen? Or have you enjoyed any horror films? Oh yeah, I say, um, it's, it's funny because I, I do tend to avoid them. And I don't think I could do hardcore stuff. I but I've seen ones where I guess I I respect the director enough to thinking I'll be in good hands here. So I saw uh, Drag Me to Hell, um, which I thought was oh, yeah, a yeah. well put together horror movie. Um, I saw I love, yeah, Drag Me to Hell's good actually. Yeah, I saw. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, there is a twist that is the final shocker in Drag Me to Hell. Um, yeah. That again, possibly because I just understood the language of cinema so well I anticipated about 20 minutes before the end um, yeah. and then mentioned it to my wife who was not pleased that I'd spoiled the ending for her because I uh, thought well it's right. clearly obvious isn't that what happened apparently it's not obvious um, no. but, but it's, a, yeah, it's a lovely film I think it's a lovely it's a, it's a well made exciting it's film. a lovely film it's a lovely film it's a, I think it's a well structured good again proper yeah. shocker horror movie I've seen The Orphanarium or um, L Orphanarium which is a horror movie of a very different kind um uh, yeah. What else have I seen horror wise? So, uh, the screams I've seen. I've seen this, the three screams. Yeah. Um, so I was, what I was yeah. going to do, um, the people under the stairs was a a, 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 a late uh, switch from the film that I was going to show or was going to recommend, which was which is called um, uh, Brain Dead. Okay, uh, I've heard of that. But I'm yeah, it. which is Peter Jackson film. Yes, that's why I've heard of it. Yes, the, the, it's first one, the, isn't it? Uh, it's his third one. Is it? It's, Yes, his third film. It's the film he made before he made Heavenly Creatures and then went on to make the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, so I was going to choose that one and mainly because, again, I, I know that, you know, you're a, a, a fantasy aficionado, right? So you would have seen Lord of the Rings. You'd have liked Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I like Lord of the Rings. They're good films. Peter Jackson is a world famous, you know, behemoth of a director. Yeah. Interesting to see one of his early films that's you know in the horror genre because he he, he kind of cut his teeth in the horror genre yeah, yeah. I've, I've not seen that film but the, the thing about it is is that i don't think it quite fits the weekend at crombie's um canon because it's a very well-known film and a very successful film yeah. and well guarded um it, you know it, it is also described as the goriest film ever made <laughs> I, I just wondered whether maybe it wasn't quite the right fit for weekend at Commerce, whereas the people under the stairs from a similar type of director or they didn't have quite the commercial success although scream was you know big in its day yeah um that that, that might fit it a little bit better because it's been largely forgotten yeah. as a um the the the, the 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 there are i mean people under the stairs isn't a perfect film there are some things that i found problematic with it um I think you've hit the nail on the head when you said there's a point at which you you you, you gain control again. That's fine, but the the, the last 20, 25 minutes is very loose. Yeah. Um, it, it needs tightening up. It could have ended. I, I think you can you could probably cut fifteen to twenty minutes out of the film and it still be really tight. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Really, really it's, a, yeah, it's a fairly brief film. Well, again, the fact that as you can tell from the recap, we struggle to accurately yeah. recap who was where and what in the very final reel because uh, it, it yeah. does just get a bit mixed up. And that's a shame, I think, because um, I, I think that the, 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 the characters in it probably deserve a better ending to the film in that regard. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, there's one too many times where Brandon and Alice escape yeah, and yeah. are found again and escape again. You know, I just think that you, know, you don't need all of it. It doesn't need to end eight times. Yes, yes. Just end now. Just end. 
It's fine as it is, just end. It kept going a little bit, which was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit rough around the edges. I think some of the, some of the kind of makeup work in it is is leaves a little bit to des- to be desired, I suppose. But you know, it's it's, it's of the budget in that regard. Um, and if you're looking if you're looking for subtlety, you're probably not going to get it in the people under the stairs. You know, so don't go into the film expecting that. So that would be my kind of general view of 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 of, of where that is. But it's entertaining, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I think. It's again thinking some of the characters. Again, the character of Roach was an interesting one because he died quicker than I thought he would. Yeah, he, uh, he yeah. sort of he sort of appears to perform a function, and then but you'd imagine you know one of the people under the stairs who'd got out had become an ally, had, had was literally on 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 Fool's side. But again, maybe it would have empowered Fool too much to have someone who you know intricately knew the the ins and outs of the house and this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, maybe. So his his exit was quicker than I thought it would be. Although again, structurally, I couldn't see how he could hang around and and contribute much to the plot when you've kind of already got Alice as the prisoner of the house rest to escape, and that's Fool's mission in many ways. I mean, I do find I do find that the the, the Roach character sl- slightly frustrating on the basis that he's been in the house for an indeterminate amount of time but it's certainly been quite a long time he's yeah. escaped the basement he's made a life in the crawl spaces and yet it takes it takes um fall what, an afternoon to get up into the attic and realize there's a <laughs> window he could just jump out yeah you think how good how, you know, how much of a, an orienteer was roach really yeah. <laughs> he's not very good well you could make the argument of again um agoraphobia where they literally they, they can see the outside but they're terrified to go oh, alice, alice certainly seems to be very frightened not just of disobeying her parents but actually leaving the bounds of the house yeah and maybe maybe roach's principal um kind of drive wasn't to leave the house at all it was in fact just to cause um the robeson's anguish yeah or to look after alice again they certainly do have a bond yeah. And Alice, yeah, again, yeah, Alice yeah. would be on her in there. Um, again, no, 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 Chris in the film. I did give, I did like the character of Leroy. It was interesting that essentially he's not a nice person. No, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's certainly a thief. He, he, yeah, he forces Fool into this cape. Fool is very, yeah, Fool literally has ambitions to be a doctor. He doesn't want to be a criminal, and and yeah. Leroy pushes him into this life. Um, and when they're in the house, he's not particularly caring of Fool. Fool stands, you know, stands up for Leroy a couple of times. He's the one that draws off the dog when it's attacking Leroy. Yeah. And Leroy yeah. mostly regards him as a nuisance or belittles him. Um, and and even in the final thing when they're hiding, he, t- he tells Fool to find another cupboard to hide in. Although that actually does save Fool's life because then only Leroy is discovered. But I do think it was it was nice like he had one last redeeming act where he he shouts "Run, Fool!" before he's gunned down. Yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, he's still quite an endearing character. <laughs> yes, yeah, again, he's a. <laughs> Which is weird, isn't it? Well, it's one of those things. Again, that it's a, it's a, a common staple of any characters. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad. If they're good at what they do, you'll you'll <laughs> like them. And Leroy certainly has agency. He's the one that gets him in the house. He's yeah. certainly confident in his own self. And and you 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 warm to that a lot. In fact, he's you know, he's, he's never you nasty. Do. He's just a bit dismissive of fool. Yeah, um, that's true. But yeah, so that that was a again, it was an interesting character. It's. Uh, one thing, when, here's a plot thing: is like, what did kill Spencer? Well, I don't know. This is the thing. He's, he's described as being killed by fright, but that, that doesn't make any sense. But also, does it? you see his hair. Spencer's hair is very, very white in the, when he's yeah. found, and it, it was black when he went in. And so that's what I was, I was, because that's what gave it almost a supernatural thing. I thought, Dino, you know, did the ghosts get him? Because you don't, because once it's all revealed, you realise it's just crazy people. They're just nutters who put people behind the walls and kill yeah. people. So, that, so it's like almost, it's a very you know, down to earth as much as it can be explanation. They're just crazy. Yeah. But it, it wouldn't in, it wouldn't turn his hair white, would it? Exactly. In the beginning it's implied there's something supernatural going on to mm. kill Spencer. Um which may have just been, you know, a bit of misdirection. But 
maybe again, maybe the the, the Robeson's poisoned him. We have a cup of tea with some poison that they yeah. you know, turned his hair white. We never and find then, out, do we? And uh, I, it's a bit of a misstep, really, because. Uh, yeah, but I suppose yeah, well, that if, if, again, if you're looking at the fairy tale element of it, Fool has discovered you know one of their accomplices dead, and he's almost transposed his own thing. There's there's some creepy monsters in the cellar. And and one of our guys, if Spencer had just been found shot dead, it wouldn't be as scary because that's something you can understand. Spencer being killed by things unknown in a strange basement full of monsters is a lot scarier for Fool and ourselves. But it, it, it's yes. a, it's a it's a, a, a hole that's never really um, resolved. No, I, I agree with that. I think yeah, that, that that's. I wonder whether there was a, 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 a an earlier version of the script that hadn't kind of worked that out. Yeah. or work that through or maybe some some bits of the film had been cut or something um yeah. i don't know but it, it it didn't quite make sense in that regard yeah i, I, don't think. I, suppose um, I think of that, the other tropes and the optics of, of horror movies too it's again it is both unusual and refreshing to see a, a child and a young a young black actor having being the hero of the movie um definitely yeah definitely. I, I think that's that for me is one of the best things about the film actually yeah um and and that in having a child and a black actor, but but a very good child actor, yes, who's, who carries the film really well. Because yes. often, you know, child actors in horror, in any film, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, if 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 a film has a as its main protagonist a child, I mean, the the hairs, I, I'm. I'm struggling with that, okay. you know, because I know it's, it's more than likely going to be terrible. Put it this way, cast any of the leads from the first Harry Potter who have a comparable age to this actor in that film, and you'd be rolling your eyes. You would be rolling your eyes, wouldn't because, you? Because, again, they, they would, they would, I remember Chris Columbus saying he deliberately shot very short scenes with each of the actors to, to try and minimise their limitations. But, again, um, Fool does a lot for, you know, for quite a long time. He's a proper protagonist in the movie. Um, yeah, he does, and he's got to have... He's, he's almost, I mean, the, you've just got to like him. You've got to be, you've got to be you've got with to him. Like thinking, will he just like come on and eat this child? Yeah. I'm bored with him. It's a physical film. It's a physical role as well. He's got a lot of stuff to do in the film. Yeah. And um, I wonder whether, I mean, like, it, it, I don't, you know, don't know what else Brandon Adams has been in particularly. So he's not made it as an actor. He's not a particularly well-known actor, but he's obviously got to have something about him. He's got to have some intelligence as well because he, he's, he's almost playing someone much older than himself. Yeah. In, in many ways, I just think there's he 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 puts in a really great performance in that yeah. film. I mean, it certainly holds his own with it, with all the other characters in it. Yeah, he did appear, I think, in a few um, Michael Jackson movies. Um, oh, really? As, so I don't know the context of having to hide in a big house from a crazy person. Uh, <laughs> got to draw from that. <laughs> he was also yeah. one of the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, That's funny. But yeah, so I think he, child child actors where he he began and ended. Um, okay. Was well, there anything else you wanted to mention about the film? Uh, about the film, um, I guess I was on the fact that again I thought it was the, so the character of Fool was good. I did wonder about the character of Alice, who seemed so incredibly meek and in need of saving. Um, yeah. So again, that's it's, it's not a great optic for the fact that she is so helpless and entirely right and fool. She does kind of wake up towards the end of the movie and, and kind of get her mojo back. So it is kind of growth for her. So she she does go for, and I suppose she is you know entirely a victim. She's been brutalised and kept under thing. I did actually also think. Um, so I'll finish that thought first. So the fact that she was fairly helpless and Fool was doing all the work, um, but it kind of balances out towards the end. So that's that's a journey yeah, at least. It does. Yeah. I suppose actually the fact that um, that Fool is made out so quite obviously to be the protagonist from the start does take away some of that kind of last man standing 
horror because you yeah. know, you know Fool is going to be the guy you follow because he's he's getting his tarot cards right at the beginning. There's no like there's not like three kids like the Goonies and they go bit by bit. It's, <laughs> it's you, you know it's Fool and therefore you're not. I wasn't ever really worried about his personal safety. It was more mm. about what kind of crazy stuff is going to happen to it. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he, he there was no there was no real edge or threat with him per se yeah um, it's more interesting to know how is he going to get out of that scrape yeah but rather than is he going to get out yeah. of that scrape i was also wondering again societally wise this is like early 90s um had this had you know had the scandal of you know of children being kept by their parents in cellars for years really broken yet or was that like a, a late 2000 thing? Well, i think it was a later thing although this the, the the story goes that this is based on a real life case from the late 70s okay where there was a burglary at a house um and the police arrived and they found a number of children being kept in a basement in that house so it was it was um it was based on a true story obviously it's been reworked slightly i don't think it was quite as dramatic as this although probably say it was more sinister i guess well, i don't know if it's more sinister <laughs> yeah i suppose crazy people are universal um yeah they are yeah was there anything uh, else that you, you thought you mentioned you were going to talk about grandpa booker well i was only to say that with you know in 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 the kind of pantheon of of, of horror um tropes you've got the, the the oracle as it were which is the um the the the, the, the grandpa booker character who, who who seems to have some kind of supernatural knowledge of the things that go on around him and his his, his local neighbourhood. He's like he knows everything and all this kind of stuff. And the, there's a, a the, the, the 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 character in um, The Shining as well, played by Scatman John. Um, sorry, what talking Scatman about? Crothers. He <laughs> <laughs> took a real kind of creative downturn. Yeah, Scatman Crothers. Yeah, and um, uh, who plays a similar role, right? Yeah. Who is effectively, you know, he's the guy that comes on and tells you tells you what's happened with his wisdom. With his wisdom, it always seems to be a black character. It's the same in the Matrix as well. Where, yeah. and actually, ironically, in the Matrix, she's actually called the Oracle. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, we're not talking very subtle there either. There's always a black, mm. a, a, a more elderly black yeah. character who seems to um, furnish the main protagonist with knowledge. Now, it just happens that it's usually the white protagonist who the black oracle has furnished with this knowledge to keep them alive yeah. um in this case it isn't it's actually um full so that's slightly true. but you know it, despite it kind of breaking down a lot of the conventions of horror there is still some horror traits that it can't get um release itself from its shackles yeah. i suppose it is still ultimately a horror film yeah well, i don't have anything in the kind of again the racial politics and the, the film tropes that again you rely on a black character to go out of their way to save a white one um, when it mm. would be much more unusual if, say, Alice had gone back in the house to save Fool. Very true. That's not something I thought of, actually, but you're right. Um, it, yeah, very true. It's it, much more likely to get the black character sacrificing themselves to yeah. the white character than the other way around, certainly in horror anyway. Yeah. That would seem to happen all the time, yeah, very much so. Um, there, there, there's, there's a couple of films I want you to recommend um, if, if, if you're interested in other kind of horror films, I guess, really, um, that are similar to this. Um, there's, I mentioned it earlier, but Jordan Peele's Us, I would certainly catch. Yeah. Um, it's uh, kind of like a... I won't go into the details of what the film's about if you've not seen it, because it, it's, it's a bit of a kind of mind-twisty type film, but it certainly shares a lot of similarities with The People Under the Stairs. I would also recommend watching They Live, which is a John Carpenter film, about, about a guy that wears glasses and he sees... 
in, in the glass he sees uh, that society has been taken over by um, aliens and they are suppressing um, people with um, kind of capitalist um, ideology. So when he put, when he wears the glasses, people's skin deteriorates and you see these aliens walking around and you see the real advertising slogans. And when he takes the glasses <laughs> off, the fake advertising slogans and people in their suits and stuff. So that's quite interesting. And the, 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 the final film I want to recommend, which probably has the most kind of structurally similar, although it's a different tone, is probably The Burbs. Ah, The uh, Burbs. I've never seen yeah. The Burbs either. So The Burbs is... Uh, actually, I've, the I've Burbs, heard of either Tom Hanks thing, yeah. Yeah, The Burbs is rubbish. I mean, <laughs> don't watch The Burbs for an enjoyable film. Watch it because it shares some similarities in the sense that there's a big house. Tom Hanks has this idea that in the house things of a nefarious type happen, and so they break into the house... To, to see it and you know hilarity ensues it's kind of like a it's, it's a comedy horror rather than a horror comedy i would okay. say um but uh, i mean it, it shares some similarities in the sense it's got a big house and weird things happen in it okay so if there's nothing else you i think we have exhausted yes it goes without saying i have i have no similar films i can recommend <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry uh, i did assume there didn't i you did uh, but no i can't i, I can't i can't never interact to that okay well um, I think it's scores on the doors, isn't it? It is. It's time to take a quick break, uh, recover ourselves, and then go to straight to scores on the doors. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome back to the, the final leg of our May podcast, when we will be giving our scores out of five floating crombie heads Possibly floating because they were disem- dismembered by uh, by evil people <laughs> behind the stairs. We don't know. Um, but five half marks are not allowed. And as tradition dictates, James will be marking the film first. James, what would you give the film? Okay, so um, I've got very fond memories of the people under the stairs from a burgeoning horror fan in the early 90s when I was finally allowed to watch films that were slightly um, certificated above the age that I was at that particular time. I think People on This was probably one of the first ones that I did watch in that regard. So it, it kind of holds a strong place. I've not seen it for years. Um, it's got a very strong protagonist, a uh, likeable bunch of characters, um, even even Leroy, who um, is ostensibly a, bit of a, a, a nasty character, has his, has his high moments. It's um, full of... Um, satire both economic and political which is great i think if i'm being completely honest with myself i think that um it would have scored higher if it just ended that little bit earlier and had a tighter ending i think it would have been you know aiming aiming for the upper echelons of uh, weekend at crombies as it is i think it it gets a bit loose and it loses its focus, certainly in the last third. And because of that, I'm going to give it three disembodied crombie heads. It has a lot going for it. And I think if it was a little bit tighter. It probably would be more regarded and would be the classic that it perhaps shot so close to being. OK, three floating crombie heads. And for myself, uh, it was very interesting. I was aware about halfway through the movie. I had to, I had to, it's probably the, the most head scratcher of a score I've had to give any film because I was very aware that that it's really not the kind of film I enjoy but at the same time I couldn't escape the fact that it was a film of quality it wasn't I wasn't not enjoying it because it was say Dance from the Dark which got a film of very no very little quality I, I, I knew it was a film that was was doing its job right 
you know the actors were doing their were doing it right the the, the directed and the script it was all working together just what, what they put together was not my not my cup of tea um but i can't mark it down because of that um i think it deserves a fair score i think i agree with everything we said it's it's the structure the heel shift halfway through lets it down it, it not only becomes a different kind of movie but it becomes a looser kind of movie yeah. and the fact that i i went so almost so dramatically from one state of of experiencing the film to another one where i was just watching it to get to the other to the other end i think three floating crumbly heads for me too well that's very interesting uh and um yeah i was i was slightly um I don't know, unprepared, um, slightly nervous about your reaction to it. Because what I don't, what what I don't want to do, and what neither of us want to do, is to choose a film that we're going to hate. Because you know that's two hours of your life you're never going to get back, right? Plus another so, three hours talking about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Five <laughs> hours of your life. Well, sometimes talking about a film you hate is more is much more fun than watching a film that you hate. Um, so you know, I was, I was slightly uh, nervous about that. So I'm I'm glad that it, it wasn't a complete um, disaster. So that's good. Okay, and with but that, now then... we have the moment everyone's waiting for. No, not the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> ones are the best ones, aren't they? It's uh, it's it's June's it's choice. June's choice. <laughs> what am I choosing for June? Well, what Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only. Uh, June will we'll discuss my reasons for choosing it next week. But um, for for June, we are going to be watching Memphis Bell. Memphis Bell. Right, yeah, with Harry Connick Jr. With Harry Connick Jr., amongst others. Indeed. Well, I look forward to that. I have not seen Memphis Bell for many a year. <laughs> no, right, so we'll, I'm very interested in how it holds up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Memphis Bell used to be on ITV about twice a week. At one point, <laughs> at one point it used to be on ITV about twice a week. Uh, it's not, not for a while. So that's good, right? Okay, okay. fantastic. Well, with that then, I think... We're a wrap, so we'll uh, we'll close up by saying uh, don't have nightmares. Have a very pleasant and uh, and hopefully an outdoors very soon weekend at Crombies. Good evening all. Weekend at Crombies. I mean, I know we were about half an hour through the actual podcast, but that was an absolute shambles. I almost <laughs> said the people under the stairs is a John Craven. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that very happily. <laughs> All right, let me start that again then.